Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I want to take a moment to let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community. This week, Sam Seifert is continuing our final series in Philippians titled Gospel Mission. And every year on Christ the King weekend, we have our annual Missions Weekend, and it's coming up next weekend on November 25th and 26th. And one very practical way you can support local and global missions work is by giving to the Southview Missions Fund, which supports long-term international workers and short-term missions trips. So looking ahead to next weekend, where we'll give an opportunity to give to the Southview Missions Fund, we do ask that you prayerfully consider how God might be asking you to participate. Starting on November 20th through the week of December 2nd, 3rd, we will be receiving donations for the Stony Nakoda Food Bank. The Stony Nakoda Food Bank is committed to eliminating hunger within the Stony Nakoda communities, Morley, Eden Valley, and Bighorn. The list of items we can receive here at the church is posted on our Advent page of the website. We hope you'll partner with us. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint, And you can find a link to our viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast, or you can go on Realm and join the group Southview Family Updates, and that will make sure you're always getting the weekly viewpoint in your inbox. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we'd love to hear from you. You can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. And additionally, you can always find us on Instagram, and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant, because God is here, and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Philippians 4, 1-9 Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Sintichi to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, Help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious in anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Hello. 
Welcome here. Glad we can be joined together as we sing, as we pray, as we come to God's Word, and ultimately all of that leads to our high point of our service this weekend, uh, which is coming to the Lord's Supper and the table of communion together. And so uh, we look forward to that with anticipation and trust that God will speak to our hearts today and uh, shape us in ways that uh, God longs to shape us as uh, gospel citizens here in this world. And so as we uh, continue on in this series that we're calling uh, a Gospel Mission, it's our third part series in uh, the book of uh, Philippians as we're walking through this. And I was thinking about uh, our topic today, and I was thinking about uh, life in the Roman world and trying to put myself, you know, 2,000 years ago, uh, what was that like? Um, It's kind of hard to imagine what life was like 2,000 years ago, you know, uh, going through life with no computers or cell phones. I don't know how I'd get through my day without those. Uh, Microwaves or ovens, uh, toasters, no cars, no airplanes, like how do people get places, no air conditioning or heaters, now that we're going into that season. Uh, Tylenol, whew, that's, a, that's a rough one right there. Or how about Google or GPS? Like, how did you find your friend's house? Like, this is crazy stuff. Like, do we share anything in common uh, with uh, people set apart by such a great amount of time? I would say yes. And it's called stress. Stress. To be human is to experience stress and anxiety. And the cause of anxiety might change from one person to the next or from one era to the next, but humans have always had troubling troubles in this world. The ancient Greek uh, writer, Hippocrates of Cause, he recounts two phobia causes in his time uh, in uh, kind of third century BC. A certain Akaner would go to a dinner party and at the sound of flutes would experience masses of terror. The problem wasn't flute music, because if he was fine if he heard flute music during the day. It was specifically a trigger related to parties. Perhaps it was some kind of social anxiety that this person had. Another man, Democles, had a terrible fear of heights and falling. There was a Stoic philosopher named uh, Cicero. He distinguished between mental affliction, anxiety, and worry and recognized that problems in the human life of the mind could lead to bodily problems. Many of us can identify, right? Well, in this passage in Philippians chapter 4, we have insight into Paul's approach to dealing with anxiety, stress, and hopelessness. And we know as we've walked through this series that this small community, probably about 50 people in this church community, they are experiencing persecution from the outside world as they're learning what it means to live as gospel citizens in their time. But apparently there's also some internal divisions that are happening that are causing even more stress to this small community. And Paul addresses this disagreement between Judea and Syntyche, um, where there was this division. Now, these are two women. They're most likely leaders in this church, fabulous women. Paul actually commends them for the work that they're doing. But there's some sort of division that's causing a big rift in their church. Now, some scholars think that they're probably divided over the idea of sending resources to Paul in prison. Now, I kind of lean towards that because whenever you get money involved, conflict generally happens, right? It doesn't usually happen in churches, but that's just what I've heard. 
So money usually has a big part of, so they're probably kind of thinking, we shouldn't be sending resources to Paul because we have needs here in our community. The other one's probably saying, we need to keep supporting the mission, so we need to keep sending these things, and maybe they were starting to take sides. So Paul has to speak into this situation. So we don't really know what the disagreement was about, but there was this thing that was affecting the, the church. And so we know that from what's happening in this uh, context of what's happening in this letter, there is some social persecution from outsiders. We've learned about some of those things. We now understand that there's some friction within the church, within the leadership of this church. And there's also this massive concern for Epaphroditus, which we've looked at because he almost died. And there's uncertainty about Paul. He's in prison. How's this all going to work? So the question for us today is, what do we do when we're bogged down with stress? How do we handle it when all seems dark and impossible and it just feels like the waves just keep coming and battering us against the rocks? Well, before we get into thinking theologically about what Paul is going to give us for advice, let me say that Paul was addressing what we might call common or basic worries not mental disorders. He was talking about these common basic worries, not mental disorders. Because in some circumstances, it is wise to seek medical professional help. And we'll come back to that a little bit later. But Paul's counsel here, it's general and it's theological. It's not clinical. And it's important for us to realize that. So having said that, many of us, including myself, we need help managing stress. And anxiety. And Paul actually offers a lot of really great wisdom for us of how to live this out even in our time, much like they had to learn how to do that in their time. And so the reality is, all of us as humans, we feel anxiety, which in and of itself, it isn't a bad thing. It's the brain's way of getting ready to deal with stressful situations or escaping danger. But it can turn very destructive as we seek to control our lives and the circumstances that are going on around us. So Paul's not telling the Philippians just to stop worrying about their circumstances. Instead, he begins to invite them in of what it looks like to begin to trust God and hand over to him all of their concerns and their anxieties. So what is our part in the gospel mission? And this is really kind of the main thing that we want to look at uh, this weekend. Paul would say, keep calm and carry on. That's our part in the gospel mission. Keep calm and carry on. Keep moving the mission forward as we learn to trust in him. Because we don't need to live in fear and anxiety over our circumstances when we have a benevolent God to whom we can turn to in our time of trouble and who will hear our prayers. Now, this picture of intimacy with our Heavenly Father in heaven is quite unlike how the gods of the Greco-Roman world were seen. So, for example, uh, there's a story of the statue of Apollos who threatened to leave the city of Tyre during the attack of Alexander the Great. And in reaction... The people who followed Apollos attempted to prevent his flight by tying down his statue with gold cords. Now, Paul is communicating to us that our God is not like that. The Philippians can be set free from anxiety because, as Paul says in verse 5, 
Our Lord is near, and he won't threaten to abandon us when the going gets tough. Paul exhorts the Philippians to not seek freedom from anxiety through kind of self-mastery, but to find freedom from anxiety through prayerful, grateful acknowledgement of dependence on God. So Paul, what he's been doing throughout this whole letter is he invites them to not only follow his example, but he turns them back to follow the example of Jesus as we looked at in chapter 2. And so what did Jesus do as he walked through life and how did Jesus deal with anxiety? Well, in the Gospels, Jesus modeled prayer in the midst of his anxiety. If you go to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 37, I'll have it up here on the screen. We see Jesus uh, before his crucifixion. He goes into the garden and it says he is grieved and he's agitated. And that Greek word agitated, it means to be in anxiety. So the reality of his death on the cross begins to press in on Jesus with crushing emotional force. And how does he deal with his anxiety? Verse 39, he prayed. He prayed. Because we know that anxiety is part of our lives as humans, just as it was for Jesus. But how we deal with it is of Pastor Paul's ultimate concern and care for us. And he says it is through prayer that God's peace will come and guard this small community in Philippi. It is through prayer that that peace will come. And Paul then uses this word finally in verse 8, and it means as far as the rest is concerned. It is used here in his conclusion to introduce the last in a series of imperatives that describe how the Philippians are to stand firm in the Lord. Now, while a lot of scholars will look at this list of common values from Greco-Roman virtues, I appreciate how the idea that Paul is actually trying to get the Philippians to kind of move up to like a 30,000-foot world view or a view of things. And he wants to help them refresh their thinking about peace and hope in community. Because what if Paul, in his appeal to deal with anxiety, is pointing us to think of what is beautiful in the world— instead of focusing on the bad. And these days, that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? To think about the beautiful things in the world. So Paul encourages the Philippians not to focus on their fears or their concerns, but to fill their minds with whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable. According to Nijay Gupta, Paul is saying that peace is a state of mind. We can consume our thoughts with what ifs, or we can soak in all the beauty and goodness that is in the world. And I think of Jesus when he was talking about worry in the Gospels in Matthew. Uh, he begins to talk about worry and he, he starts to point to the birds of the air and he points to the flowers in the fields. I mean, is he, in essence, doing what Paul is encouraging the Philippians to do? When worry creeps in, consider the beauty that is around you. And remember that joy is possible in all circumstances as we trust in Christ. 
Because Paul's main argument of the letter is to live as citizens of another realm, knowing that we're going to experience anxiety, but how do we deal with it? Well, Paul proceeds to lay out his primary argument through example. He now calls the Philippians to put into practice what they have seen and heard. And I love how George Hunsinger says this, contemplation is not perfected without action. So Paul in his appeal to follow the example of Jesus is once again calling them to this kind of cruciform existence that he has been commending and urging them throughout his letter. But we know experientially that God's peace isn't just kind of like downloaded into us in a moment. I don't know if you've ever watched the movie, The Matrix. Uh, well, Matrix, Neo, uh, he kind of wakes up in this world and he, they said, you know, you're the one and you got to learn how to fight. And so they plug his, in this thing into his head and then they download what's called the combat plan or action. And so they're downloading all of these ways of fighting into his brain. And then he wakes up and he's like, I know Kung Fu. And it's really cool. But that's not how this works. We can't just like plug something in, like download God's peace. There are certain spiritual practices and commitments and habits that welcome God's peace into our lives. And Paul lists out those several of those virtues that should capture our imagination in order to turn chaos into peace, as we've seen in verse 8. The mind should choose to dwell on those things. That's what Paul says. But he is quick to point out that this requires far more than this just thoughtful reflection on beauty as we kind of go through life in blissful rest. Because in verse 9, Paul refers to this excellent orientated mentality as thought, as action, and habit. In essence, he's saying you should do them as well. Don't just think about them, do them, put them into practice. So what we see here in this passage is Paul's formula for finding peace to overcome stress. Now, this is not Paul's foolproof evidence. It is not a comprehensive or universal plan. It is wise counsel for us for developing virtues, habits, and practices to address anxiety. So Paul would say, here's an antidote to anxiety in your life, even this week, Southview. Three things. Number one, celebrate. Rejoice, as he says in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. So celebrate the things of life. Rejoice in the Lord always and in all circumstances. Give thanks, throw parties, celebrate all that is good. Look outward. Focus on the needs of others, being compassionate towards one another. Live missionally. We talked a number of weeks ago to have four quarters in your pocket and go through the day serving people and moving them to the other side. It's looking out and seeing other people. Supporting our missions fund this next weekend. Giving to the Stony Nakota food drive that we're doing. Getting involved and serving. Thank you for those who helped out last weekend for our Southview Social. Those of you who brought the yummy treats, which were awesome, by the way. I gained a few pounds. Um, and uh, for those who served at our services, you were out there making sure that everything was happening. It's looking outward. It's going into your community this week and saying, who is here? Even the community life story that we heard about somebody overhearing something and then offering to be a part of it. 
going through our day looking outward. And then last, use your imagination. Use your imagination of all that is in this created world that God has made good. And use prayer and all the various sorts of ways of doing prayer and always offer those prayers in gratitude, giving thanks to God for what he has done. So what do I want us to do this week? Here's a simple thing. Uh, one thing, come up with a plan this week of how you will build into your schedule a small but regular time of meditation on or interaction with something wonderful. Spend some time admiring it, reflecting on it, or enjoying it. It may be as simple as playing a few minutes of really wonderful classical music. Uh, it may be hanging some really cool artwork in your office and at the end of the day before you leave, just pausing and taking a moment to reflect on the beauty of the artwork. Get up at about 8.30 when the sun rises and look at the sunrise. Um, I had the privilege of being out at Lake Louise this last week for our uh, district uh, prayer retreat with the pastors in our province. And this was the view out my window as I was writing this message. And it's pretty hard not to pause and go to the window and take a look out and be like, wow, this is pretty amazing. Why can't I get this message done? But I need to pause and deal with my stress, okay? So there's lots of ways for us to help with these things. So if you are dealing with anxiety in your life this week or suffer from chronic stress factors in your life, I encourage you to take time this weekend before Monday starts to think about how you can build rituals of excellence and beauty into your life. And maybe it's as simple as getting up and making a really nice cup of coffee. Huh? There's one person. It's just the simple things to help reorientate our minds to think of all of the beauty in this world. Now, we know anxiety in recent years has seemed to skyrocket. Almost every person I talk to is dealing with some sort of form of serious anxiety. Now, I've experienced anxiety in my own life uh, with work, with school, with family life, I mean, I, we could just kind of get after the service, like, hey, did, how was anxiety this week for you? Oh, man, let, I don't, let, you're going to stress me out if I have to talk about it. Um, but we all have it. This is a reality of being a human. Now, if you know of somebody with extreme anxiety, you've probably read about it a lot. And you've probably actually had to work with psychologists. And it's amazing how much uh, what Paul talks about in this passage applies to what the medical field even encourages us to do. One of the many tools that psychologists will teach is positive thinking. Thinking about the good and the beautiful instead of the bad. According to psychologist Tamar uh, Chansky, she writes, we need to encourage our children to get in the habit of noticing and spending time with the things that are going right in their lives the pleasant moments, the successes they've created but have overlooked or dismissed as unimportant, the surprises, the connections, the joy. Because researchers have found that the positive experience of thankfulness and gratitude actually has many physical and psychological and social benefits, including reducing anxiety and stress, increasing optimism and positive emotions, making people feel more forgiving, outgoing, and connected. So all of these things, along with Paul's teaching, reminds me to slow down and to set my mind on the beauty that is all around me each and every day. 
and to give thanks to God for those things. But what happens though to people who are struggling with significant mental health challenges? How do they fall, follow Paul's appeal when maybe their brains can't even focus on living this exhortation out? Now, while we continue to learn how to lean into the things that Paul exhorts us to, I was encouraged by uh, John Swinton's book, and I would highly recommend this book. It's called Finding Jesus in the Storm, The Spiritual Lives of Christians with Mental Health Challenges. It's a great resource. Would highly recommend it. We have a couple of copies in our resource center, uh, so you can go check it out after our service or this weekend. Um, you always get the first crack at it. I always have to tell the 9 11 o'clock. Sorry, they're already checked out because Saturday night took them. Uh, but uh, they're great resources. And in his book, uh, this is what uh, he writes. Uh, shalom, or peace, is liberation from false ideas about mental health and ill health, misguided expectations around curing, and unrealistic expectations concerning the nature of the good life we are called to live out with Jesus. And so here at Salfu, we want to help people hold on to Jesus in difficult times. And that means we want them to hold on to Jesus without unnecessary guilt or blame. Because for many people with mental health challenges, and we acknowledge as a church that this is real, we don't want them to be frustrated by feeling different. Along with not receiving any support to actually live into the peace that God has to offer. And that's why Swinton would go on to say that medication that is faithfully prescribed by professionals, I'd like to highlight that, can reconnect us in a way that is deeply spiritual. Because the reality is, humanity is messy. Humanity is complicated. And we need to grow in our understanding of mental health as a church in order to care for each other well as we journey through life together. And so our questions continue to be, how can we as a church begin to normalize the mental health challenges of people and help them walk in light of Paul's appeal in this passage to encounter peace and joy in the midst of their unique challenges and struggles? How do we grow in our understanding of the various tools at our, disposable, at our disposal to help people connect with the God of peace in the midst of all that they walk in? These are big questions for us to engage with as a church in areas that we need to continue to lean into and grow as a community as we live out the gospel mission here in our, life, in our, in our community. Because ultimately, this passage continues to deeply challenge even me to cast my cares upon God and to encourage others to do the same. Because as we as a community cast our cares and our anxieties upon God, we are assured that God will come with the full military might of all of heaven to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. He will give us everything to guard us. And so as we live into this idea of living out the gospel mission and all the stress that it will bring, as we go out into this world to share the good news and the love of Jesus with others, as we walk as a community of faith, knowing that there's going to be stresses even here in our church of how do we spend money? How do we do things? What should we say yes to or what should we say no to? All of these things are going to ramp up anxiety in this community. 
But we need to remember Paul's encouragement, which is keep calm and carry on. Keep calm and carry on. Because we serve a God who is peace and longs to bring peace. And he did that most fully represented here in this meal as we come to this meal together. The God of peace broke into this world to give his life for you and me, to break down the walls of hostility so that we might be reconciled not only to God, but to one another. So I invite you to take out your uh, bread and your cup. And if you want to open uh, both of those, uh, take out the little wafer on the top and then open up your your juice as well. And if you just want to hold both of those. So we come to this table and Jesus, on the night in which he's betrayed, he took bread. After he gave thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And again, after supper, Jesus took this cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink, you do this in remembrance of me. So, Father, as we come to this meal, we invite you to feed us, uh, bring peace into our lives as we cast our anxieties and our cares upon you. And we trust that you will guard us, our minds and our hearts, even this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to read from Psalm 22. Uh, Jesus quoted this um, as he was on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me, from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our ancestors trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not human, scorned by others and despised by the people. All who seek me mock at me. They make mouths at me. They shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And since my mother bore me, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls encircle me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a raving and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws, you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs are all around me. A company of evildoers encircle me. My hands and feet have shriveled. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves. And for my clothing, they cast lots. 
But you, O Lord, do not be far away. O my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. From the horns of the wild oxen you have rescued me. I will tell of your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he did not despise or abhor the afflictions of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but, when, but heard when I cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. To him indeed shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. So here is the bread. Good news for the world with a headline that says, let all who are hungry for justice come and eat. Here's the wine. Good news for all who long with a headline that says, let all who thirst for righteousness come and drink. Here's the table. Good news for all who are lost with a headline that says, all who are weary come and gather here. And here is community. Good news for all whom the world ignores with a headline that says, behold, I make all things new. Come and be renewed. Here, my friends, is Jesus. Good news for all who wait. With the headline that says, I have come that all may have life. Come and live life fully. The body of Christ, broken for you and for me, receive from him. The blood of Christ poured out for you. Receive. Amen. Amen. Well, I invite you to stand as we close our service. Our service isn't over. It's an opportunity to hang out after our service, uh, to connect with one another, to consider the beautiful things of this world. Every single person here made in God's image, a beautiful person. Just by being here, you're surrounded by beauty. And we give thanks. And I love how Paul concludes this section uh, in Philippians chapter 9, not with one last command, but with hope and belief that if the audience will follow all of Paul's instructions, adopting the mindset and the pattern of Christ, then Paul is confident that the God of peace and the peace of God will be with them all. 
each and every day. So as you go into this week, now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So take some time after our service, get to know people, hang out, chat, talk about the next social that we're going to have in January and what you're going to bring. Thanks for being here this week and blessings on you all.